Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Welcome to Faith. Hey, great to everybody here this morning. Thank you so much for being with us today. If you're watching by way of video, we welcome you as well today or, or through television or on our app. We got our new app that's up right now, and so you can watch it on the app if you can't make it in. And so we've over a 1,000 people, I think, have already downloaded the Faith app, and so that's pretty exciting as well. Take your Bibles out. Turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Uh, we are in the middle of our series, Christmas at the Movies, or at the very end of it. This is the last in our series today. And we're looking at a movie called The Polar Express. Now, the, the, Jesus Christ was an incredible storyteller. He would tell these stories. He would draw his audience in, and then bam, he'd hit them with the gospel or a teaching on the kingdom of God. We call those parables. Now, today, we're reading stories. We read a lot of stories. But if you're like me, I always want to see it in movie form. A lot easier to watch the movie version and uh, don't have to read these long books and whatever. So uh, today's movie is based on a, a, a story called Polar Express. It was written in 1985. The movie version came out in 2004, and it was a 3D animated movie. Uh, you'll recognize the lead character as Tom Hanks, and he plays like six different roles in this. I think he's the father. He's the guy on top of the train. He is the, uh, uh, the conductor on the train. And so all these characters, the voice is Tom Hanks. So you'll recognize that in the movie today. Uh, and through this story, we're going to learn some powerful lessons this morning. Uh, the theme word that comes through over and over again is believe, 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 believe. And I want to tell you that is central and paramount to our Christian faith and who we are. So uh, take a look at this first clip and we'll set it up for you today. to get to everyone's house in one night so? and to hold everyone's presents his sled would have to be bigger than an ocean liner well your brother said that well he was just kidding you he knows there's a santa he said he wasn't sure he wasn't sure santa was for real of course santa's for real he's as real as christmas itself but he won't come until you're sound asleep young lady <laughs> sweet dreams santa will be here before you know it so go to sleep
this train wouldn't wake him up now. We have a story of our boy that is struggling with believing is Santa real or not. Now, if you've had kids, some of you guys and your families talked about Santa. Santa's coming. He's going to bring gifts. And you may have played that up for a while. And then there comes that age when they start to figure out, you know what, maybe Santa's not real. Oh, no, I just, I just crushed somebody's hopes and dreams I see right now with that silence that fell across the place. Uh, spoiler alert, he's not real. I'm sorry, I just blew it for some of you guys. But uh, if you have kids, grandkids, you kind of went through this whole time with them, and it's uh, something we went through as kids. If our parents did the kind of same thing with us, and we waited for them, and we looked for them, and some of you put the cookies and milk out, and hung the stockings, and, and did the whole thing. And then comes the realization, is he really real or not? Do I really believe in him or what has happened? Now, as it relates to our message today, some of us, all of us probably, at some time or another, have had our own struggle. Is God really real? We don't see him. We believe in him. We have faith. We trust in God, but is he really real? And, and especially, it's hard when things go wrong, when things aren't going right and, and life around us is messing up and we begin to wonder, God, do you really care? God, do you even know that I'm out here? And we struggle with this whole existence of God because we can't see him. And yet somehow we believe. And we believe through a word called faith. And the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so what happens when God doesn't answer or God doesn't move or God doesn't work in the way we think he ought to or we face these trials and we face these tests and we come to grips with our own weaknesses and it's in those moments it's hard to believe and maybe we say we're just kidding ourselves, there really is no God. And that thought is frightening. And we search for answers and we don't see them at work. And this is the same kind of thing that is gonna come over and over. You saw the little bell. It's gonna come into play at the end of the service on the end of his hat. And, and, and when, when seeing is believing or when, see, when not seeing is still believing, can we still believe even though I don't see? Take a look at our next clip. something I can do for you? I'm looking for a, a girl. A g- <laughs> hey, we all! I have her ticket. Well, looky, looky, yeah. Well, this is, uh, this is an official, authentic, genuine ticket to ride. Oh, you better keep this in a safe place, young man. If I was you... I keep all my valuables right here, right here in the old size 13. Experience shows this is the safest place. Not that I have much use for those tickets. I ride for free. Oh, yeah, yeah. I hop aboard this Rattler anytime I feels like it. I own this train. It's like I'm the king of this train. Yeah, the king 
of the Polex. In fact, I am the king of the North Pole! Now, where's my man? Sit, sit. Sit, sit, sit. Take a, take a load of it. Hey, would you like some Joe? Nice. Hot refreshment. Perfect for a cold winter's night. What exactly is is your persuasion on the big man since you brought him up? Well, I I want to believe. But But you don't want to be bamboozled. You don't want to be let down to Primrose Bad. You don't want to be caught or duped. Have the wall pulled over your eyes. Hoodwinked. You don't want to be taken for a ride. Railroaded. Seeing is believing. What happens when you don't see? Can you still believe? Of course, the rest of the story, he's on a train ride. He's going to discover and come to his own point of belief. Let's stand together. Let's look at a story in God's word about a man who had faith, a man who had incredible faith. The Bible said, in all of Israel, I've not seen such great faith because he believed even though he couldn't see. Let's read the story. It says in verse five, and when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said, I I will go and I will heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth that I have found not anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown into out the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to a centurion, Go. And it will be done just as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that very hour. Let us pray. Father, I I just pray this morning in this message as we look at your word, you will build faith in our hearts and our lives today. I thank you, God, that you have all authority. I thank you, mighty God, that you can just speak the word and it will be done. So, Lord, help us to believe today. Do your work in this place. Speak to our hearts and our lives. We ask it in your holy, mighty name. Amen and amen. Turn to someone there. Tell them there's really no Santa. Sorry to let you down, but anyway. I want to give you four lessons from the story of the centurion. And this Roman centurion, and we're going to look at them 
And, uh, and so the first one is, you've got to learn to ask for help. I, I think before anything can happen, we've got to learn that Jesus Christ has the answer and we've got to humble ourselves enough to say, God, I need you. I want to go to you for help. And we've got to learn to do that in our own life. There's a character in the story. He's a know-it-all. He thinks he has all the answers. He's one of the boys on the Polar Express and, uh, and he doesn't need anyone else. But he finds out at the end of the movie that there are some things he still has to learn. And so his key word is the word learn. We've got to learn to ask God for help. One of the reasons we lose faith is because we, we've, we're convinced ourselves that I've got the answer. I can solve my own problems. I can take care of myself. We've got an expression. We say, I've got this, right? You ever said that to somebody who's kind of pushing you for an answer or something? I've got this. I've got this. Your, your, your wife, your husband gets on your nerves. I've got this. Got it handled. I've got this. And, and we become so confident in ourselves and who we are and what we do that, that somehow we go through life thinking, I've got this. But you have a, a centurion who probably had every reason to be filled with all kinds of pride, and, and yet he comes to the Lord. And he says, God, I need your help. I need your help. I don't have this. I don't have any of the answers. You are the only one who does. And so he has the humility to ask for help. Now let me give you a little background very quickly on centurions. Centurions ruled probably over a regiment of about 100 men. That's the name, Centurion. So he has about 100 men that are under his detail. So therefore, he is a very powerful Roman soldier. He is a Gentile. He's in the Roman army. And he's got a lot of men underneath him. He has climbed the ladder in rank. And now he is called a Centurion. He's also stationed in Galilee. Galilee probably wasn't the most desirable of locations in Israel. It is a very diverse area. There's all kinds of ethnic groups and backgrounds that have kind of mixed together in Galilee. They spoke with a very strange dialect. They had a very strong speech impediment. And so someone could recognize by the way you talked that you were from Galilee. And uh, they recognized that speech. It was also not a good thing to be told, I'm from Galilee. It says in John 7, verse 52, are you also from Galilee? Are you from that area? Are you from that region? It's interesting to note that in the Christmas story, you get a glimpse of a man by the name of Simeon. He is a priest in the temple. He has been there for some time. And they bring Jesus Christ to be purified. The time of purification had come. And so Mary and Joseph make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They're going to offer sacrifice. In their case, because of their uh, poverty, they offer two turtle doves. And, the, and that's going to be the sacrifice for the redemption of Jesus. It was customary in the Jewish tradition. And so they find a man by the name of Simeon who has been waiting for him. The Bible says he's been waiting for the consolation of Israel. Israel's been in a tough time. And he sees Jesus Christ. And among the statements he makes, one goes like this. He is going to be a light for a revelation to the Gentiles. Jesus is going to bring light to the Gentiles. Aren't you glad he did? He didn't come just for the Jews. Yes, he was a Jew, but the Bible says he came for the Jews and the Gentiles and for every single one of us, he gave his life for everybody. And, and one of the first signs of this light that would be for the Gentiles was a centurion, uh, and, and we see him in this story right here. And so he comes to him and he says, Jesus, I have a servant that is at home right now, and he's got the palsy. He's, he's paralyzed. And Luke adds to the story. Luke has the same synoptic story as well. He's almost to the point of death. 
Now the Bible says the word that is used for servant here is not the word that's used for an adult servant, which was doulos, or a slave, but it, it, it connotes a boy or a child. And so what he is, is either he's the son of one of his servants, thus also a servant in the house, but it's somebody he loves very much. He probably loves him almost like a son. Probably he played with his own sons. And so he's in the house, and he's sick, and he's at the point of death, and this guy has enough sense to go to Jesus Christ. Maybe he's heard the story, maybe he's heard about the miracles that were done in Galilee in the region up there but now he says my son and my servant is about to die I need you to reach your, I need you to heal him and heal his body and so he comes to him in this time I, I think one of the marks of a great leader is someone who cares about those who are underneath their authority yeah. servant leadership it's the model that Jesus Christ laid out for us to follow. He says, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. And if you're a boss or you're an employer and you got people under you or you're the head of your household or whatever the case may be, I think the greatest leaders are those who learn how to serve and care for those who are under their authority. Love them and care about them. And we see this characteristic in the centurion. He thought about his well-being. This man could have found any doctor Probably a very wealthy man if you're that high in the Roman legions and you're a centurion. He could have sought anybody out, but he seeks out Jesus Christ. He calls out to him for help. Listen to me. God can't help what we don't bring to him. And we need to learn the lesson that Jesus Christ does have the answer. He is able. And so in any need, any situation, he says, cast all your cares on me because I care about you. The writer of Hebrews says, we have a great high priest who is touched with all the feelings of our my infirmities. He was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so I can take anything, any situation, any problem, any trial, any test, I can go to Jesus. Jesus ought to be our first response, not our last response. Take it to the Lord. He wants us to come to him. He invites us to come to him. All you that are labor and are heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. Learn to take it to Jesus Christ. If we're gonna make it through the hard times, we've gotta humble ourselves and ask. Doesn't matter what position you hold, how rich you are or how poor you are, how high up you are in the company or how low you are, it doesn't matter. We've got to learn to release control and say, I don't have all the answers myself, but there's somebody who does and I'm going to take it to the Lord Jesus Christ. We see this in the story. The second lesson we learn from this is we can also rely or depend on Jesus Christ for the answer. Not only do we go to him, but we also got to believe that he has the answer. It's not an effort in futility. It's not just I'm going to him because I'm supposed to, but I, I go to him because I believe that Jesus Christ has the answer for every single situation I will face in my life. I go to him. There's another character on the story. He uh, joins the train as well. His name is Billy. And you learn very quickly in this little story that is told that, that his life has been rough. He probably comes from a very poor, impoverished home. For him, Christmas has not been great. It's been bad for the most part. And he learns to have no expectations because his life has been so rough and so bad. He has no expectations or illusions about what Christmas will be. And he has in the back of his mind that nothing ever works out for me. And maybe describe many of us in here today. The centurion comes and he comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, Lord, my servant. There was an expectation that Jesus Christ had the answer. 
that he could do a miracle, that he could heal his servants. The problem is we try to maintain control. We try to keep this veneer that I have everything under control. And sometimes, maybe because it didn't happen like we thought it was going to happen in the past and our expectations have been crushed, I don't think God's going to do anything. I've given up hope. I've come to him before. It didn't work out like I thought it was going to work out. Why go to him again? Why ask him anymore? We doubt that he cares about me. There's seven plus billion people on the face of the earth. How can the Lord see what I'm going through? How can he see my situation? Does he even care about me? Or if he does answer, maybe the answer will come too late. And what happens is in, this, in these times of doubting, what we're really doubting is not even as much the existence of God, but I'm doubting the goodness of God. Is God really a good God? Or did you just create the universe and start the earth spinning and create all that we see today and we know as we look around at creation there had to have been a master designer, a master creator, but did he just kind of pull his hand off of it and now we try to struggle and get by the best we can or does God care about what's going on in my life right now? Is God really, really a good God? Listen to Matthew six twenty six. Jesus says, look at the birds. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are, they not much, are you not much more valuable than they? If he sees a sparrow when it falls to the ground, how much more does he see what we're going through, what we're struggling with? Listen, I'm here to tell you today, God is a good God. God is a loving God. God is a merciful God. God is a personal God. In fact, one of the names we're going to hear about at Christmas time is the name Emmanuel. You've heard it sung, you've heard that name before, and you may wonder, what does it mean? The word Emmanuel literally means God with us. Matthew's gospel writes, his name shall be called Emmanuel. The Christmas story is all about God caring and loving mankind enough that he came down and he became a man and he knows everything we feel and he would give his life for us. He is God with us. And when you invite the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your heart and life, he lives inside of you. So that means he is with me. And whatever I do and whatever I go through and whatever I experience, I know that God is with me and in me because he is Emmanuel, God with us. He's with you even when you can't see him. He's with you when you don't even understand what's happening at the time. God is still with us. He's with us when everything else or everybody else around me may fail me. I can trust and know that God is still with us and with me. And even if you don't see him, it doesn't mean he is not at work. Now I want you to hear something. A delay is not a denial. And sometimes God delays because he wants to do a greater work inside of us. Sometimes we're like spoiled children. We want, it, we want an answer and we want it right now. Got the grandkids. We're keeping the grandkids. Jason and Jessica went out of town for a few days and uh, got four of them at our house right now. And uh, they're here right now, but they will be home soon. And we had quite a day yesterday and we'll have quite a day today. And I'm kind of counting the days when Jason and Jessica get back. But one of the things you learn about children is their impatience. 
They want their orange juice right now. They want their milk right now. They doesn't matter if she's on a tree trying to decorate it. Doesn't matter what I'm doing, where I'm at. We got to stop everything and do it right now. It's something about immaturity. It's something about kids. We want it right now. And sometimes we are like that with God. We want an answer from God and we want it right now. And, and it doesn't happen right now. And God may want to do something inside of us to develop our trust and our faith and our character so we'll lean and trust on him. And it doesn't always happen right now. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you or doesn't care. He is a good, good father. He is a loving friend. He is a faithful defender. He is all those things, yet I will still trust in God even when I don't see. You can trust in him. There's a third ticket that needs to be punched, and you'll see that being punched in the life of a girl, and that is you've got to always lead a life of humility. If you're going to, if you're going to, Take God, uh, take your answers, prayers to God, take your needs to God. If you're gonna learn to trust in God, we live a life, we live out of what the Bible calls as humility. And in the story, there's a girl, and she's one of the characters on the train, and she is traveling. She is a very sharp young lady. She's uh, believed all along. She kind of becomes the uh, ex officio leader of all the kids that are on the train because she's so sharp, she's so wise, she's very confident, but also something that stands out, she's a very humble girl, and you see this throughout the rest of the story. In fact, it's her humility that enables her to lead. I want to propose something to you today. If you are going to be a good leader, learn to be a humble leader. Not I'm the boss, I'm the dictator, I got it all together, you're going to do what I say, and because I'm in charge here, learn to lead and live your life with humility. The centurion, I want you to notice what the centurion had to say. He says, Lord, I do not deserve, or the King James, I like the way it says it, I am not worthy to have you come underneath my roof. He's standing in in the presence of greatness. And for him, it's not a false humility to earn brownie points to see, look how humble I really am. I I love the believers who say, one thing I'm really proud of is my humility. (laughs) Think about it for a moment. But his consciousness was of his own sins, his own unworthiness before God, who he was, his own frailties, because he recognizes something. He is standing in the presence of a holy God, the Lord Jesus Christ. God is holy and awesome and pure, and and yet God responds to that kind of humility. And when we come to God and we say, I don't have all the answers, and I'm not sure of, of a lot of things, and I have my own doubts, and I struggle with this or that, and I haven't arrived yet spiritually, and I've got a long way to go. When we come to the Lord with that kind of, of, of presentation, God accepts that and responds to that. He responds to humility. This man is a man of great success. He is a man of great power by the world's standards, but he knows he is in the presence of someone far greater than he is. I'm not worthy to have you come under my house. John the Baptist, I'm not worthy to even unlatch your shoes, let alone baptize you in water. Lord, I am not worthy. Syrophoenician woman, I'm not worthy. And on and on. This should be our attitude. God knows best. And without him, we are nothing. Isaiah 55 and verse 8, listen to this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. 
Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Listen, he is God and I'm not. So why do we quit trying to play God? Why do we try to maintain control? Why do we act like we have it all together? He's God and I'm not. His thoughts are higher than mine. His ways are higher than mine. I gotta learn to walk and trust in that. He he describes himself, and he's 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 building his case before Jesus Christ about how that the Lord doesn't have to come to his house, and he makes a statement. He says, "I am a man under authority, and yet as a man who is under authority, having many levels of authority over top of him, he still has authority because he goes on to say, "I say to this one go, and he goes. I say to this one come, and he comes. I say to one servant do it, and he does it. And immediately they do what I ask him to do. But he would have no authority if he was not first a man under authority. And I think we need to learn in our lives that every single one of us, everybody in the house today, whether you have authority or not, whether you're in charge or not, you still are a man under authority. And ultimately, he is recognizing I am under the highest authority, and that is that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the point he's making is, as a man under authority, if I say go and go, come and come, if I say this or that, Jesus, all you gotta do with your greater authority is speak the word and it'll be done. I speak the word and my servants run. Lord, if you'll speak the word, sickness will have to flee. Disease will have to go. Demons will have to go. Whatever is there has to go. All you gotta do, Lord, is speak the word. It'll be done. And at your word, my servant will be healed. Don't have to touch him. Don't have to come to my house. Don't have to spend hours in prayer. Just speak the word. It'll be done. The question is, can we believe the word when we've yet to see it transpire in our own lives? Just speak the word and it will be done. We live our lives in submission and we live our lives in humility. The danger comes when we want to tell God how to do it and what to do and why he's to do it and when he's to do it, but God always has the greater perspective. He has the greater viewpoint on life. And he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. God is better at being God than I am. And every time we think I can do it better, we place ourselves higher than God. You know, we we talk about spiritual authority and we we talk about the the, the authority we have in the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ is ready to go. He's ready to ascend and go up into heaven. He says, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Now you go and in my name you will cast out demons. In my name you will heal the sick. In my name you'll preach the kingdom of God. In my name you'll set the captive free. And so what happens is we begin to move out and we want to begin to exercise spiritual authority. But there's some people who will say, in the name of Jesus, come out. In the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, do this or that. And, and nothing happens and the demons laugh at us. Why? Because I'm not submitted in obedience to the authority of God first. Remember the story in the book of Acts? Seven sons of the priest by the name of Sceva tried to cast out demons. What did they say? In the name of Jesus, come out. What did the demons say? Paul I know, Jesus I know, but who are you? We can't expect to operate in the authority of Jesus Christ unless I am first a man under authority. 
It is a principle in the word of God. I am under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm also under the authority of God's delegated authorities over me because when I pull myself out from that, God cannot operate on our behalf. Now that is a heavy kingdom principle. And so he starts out in humility. I am a man under authority. James 4 tells us this. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. The word exalt doesn't mean he will uh, puff you up and build you up and make you all that, but it means he will exalt you to see as God sees. And what happens is when I come in humility before God, I begin to see kingdom things. I see in the realm of a kingdom, I begin to walk in spiritual authority, and then God is able to use me to do his kingdom work. Are you willing to lay aside your own way of figuring everything out and controlling every situation and trust in the invisible God? I want you to take a look at this last clip before we get to our fourth ticket. Go ahead. Better watch out, better not crawl, better not talk, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming. He's making a list, yeah. checking it twice, yeah. gonna find out who's naughty and nice, Santa Claus is coming now. He sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows if you've been bad or good, but it's good, it's good thing. Oh, you better watch out. Better not cry, better not pout, I'm telling you why, Santa Claus is coming to town.
I believe. Notice the believing became before the seeing. When you believe and you have not yet seen, there's a word for that. It's called faith. Faith. It comes a moment before the boy sees he chooses to believe. The centurion said something. Notice what he says. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. If I can just hear the bell, if I can just hear the word, if I can just hear your word, hear your voice, just say the word, and I will believe. My servant will be healed. And the Bible says that I never have I seen such great faith in all of Israel. He believed in his heart that distance is no obstacle with God, that God could touch him if he laid hands on him, or God could just say the word, and his servant would be healed, and I'll believe it. Can you imagine what the man might have thought on his way home? He leaves Jesus Christ. He's walking on his journey to go back to his house to find his servant. Now keep in mind, up till this point, he has not seen anything. He has not seen the miracle. There may have been doubts that were flooding his heart and mind. Maybe did he really heal him? Did it really happen? But the, 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 the deal is when we don't see it, do we keep on walking? Do we keep on trusting? Do we keep on believing? Do we keep standing on the word that we heard the Lord speak unto us? And so, yes, we keep walking, we keep believing, we keep trusting as we journey on our way. Listen to what Hebrews 11 says. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for the assurance about what we do not see. The assurance about what we do not see. True faith is not a hope-so feeling or an intellectual assent to some sort of doctrine, but a confident obedience to God's word in spite of what the circumstances may say. I don't see it. I don't see it in the natural. The circumstances are terrible. It may seem impossible, but I still believe I still trust in God. And I obey his word. Notice what it says. Faith is the confidence, it says in the King James Version, faith is the substance in what we hope for. The word there for for confidence or substance is to support like a foundation. And so what happens is when the foundation is right, everything else is right. Faith is the substance, it is the foundation, it is the confidence I have that God's word is true, and so I can stand on that solid foundation. It's the foundation of his word. I stand on the promises in in the word of God. And so in my mind, it has already been done. Because God said it, I believe it. That becomes my substance, my confidence, and so I stand on the word. And then the second phrase he says about faith, he says, it's the assurance about what we do not see. It is the conviction that if God said it, God promised it, he will perform it, he will bring it to pass. It's the assurance that God said it, and if God said it, I believe it. And in my mind, even though it hasn't happened yet, even though I haven't seen the miracle, I still have the assurance it will be done. Physical eyesight is the evidence to see in the natural world, but faith is that spiritual organ that enables me to see into an entirely different spiritual dimension in life. And he says to the centurion, you have great faith. You can see in the spiritual realities, even though you can't see it in the natural yet, you still believe. Wow. Our whole warfare is fought in the spiritual, invisible realm. 
Faith believes in the invisible God that the invisible God whom I cannot see is still in control. Wow. And so I walk and I trust and I obey. When you study the guys in Hebrews chapter 11 and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and you study about David and Moses and these great heroes of faith, the hall of faith, and he tells just a little bit, a snapshot of their stories. Every one of them faced adversities, struggles, and trials along the way, but they still maintained faith in God as they walked, as they journeyed, and followed him. It says, Enoch trusted in God, he walked with God, and bam, he was not, and God took him away. But it comes down to the end of that chapter, and he says, some did not obtain their miracle on this earth. They never saw the promised land on this earth. They were sawn in two. They were stoned to death. They were killed for their faith and belief in Jesus Christ. But it says, they obtained a better resurrection, and they also had faith. So my question is, when I don't see it happening like I think I ought to, do I still believe in God? Do I still believe in his word? Do I still trust in him? Faith, the evidence of things not seen. God is true to his word. I may not see his hand at work. I may not see the results when I think they ought to be done. Witness the miracle with my own eyes, as was the case with the centurion. He did never saw the miracle performed. He just gets home, the guy's well. But I will keep on believing and I will keep on walking. Will you believe even when you don't see? Faith to believe that God, if God says it, I believe it. And if I don't see it in the natural, I will keep on trusting, and I will keep on walking, and I will keep on believing. Some of you may be facing times in your own experience right now where you are going through trials and tests. Some of you are dreading Christmas time because a loved one's not gonna be there or someone in your family is sick in body or because your kids are scattered all over the place and some of them may not like you anymore and, and you're going through all those kinds of things that you're facing right now. Some of you are dreading Christmas because you have no money to buy presents for your kids. And by the way, if that's your situation, please call the office. We wanna minister and help you and grace and help you to do, take care of your family. But, but, but you're, you're going through out of unemployment, just a tough, tough situation. I want to challenge you today, lead a life of humility. Believe in God's word. Ask the Lord for help. Rely on Jesus Christ for the answer and believe in his word that if God says it, I will believe it. And we will say, God, I believe you, Lord, and I thank you for every single promise in the word of God. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.